What's up, y'all? Welcome to another episode. And before we start this episode, I want to encourage all our listeners to please subscribe and rate our channel. We definitely appreciate that. Also, feel free to give us feedback. Like I said, all three of those things, we definitely appreciate it. I just want to start the show off and letting you guys know. And um, here's another episode. I hope you all enjoy it. On the way to the top floor. I ain't selling out though, but I'm on the way. Got a lot of real, must the motivate. Hold all the moves, I'm a plenty play. On the way. On the way, on the way to the big check. You ain't know I'm up next, but I'm on the way. You ain't take risks, cause you too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way, on the way. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Men and Mindsets Podcast. I'm your host, Xavier Center, with my co host, D. Hey, everybody. And today we have a super, super, super dope guest. This will be another valuable informal episode and his name is Christopher Senegal. He's an entrepreneur. He's an investor. He's a real estate developer and he's also an entrepreneur coach and we super glad to have him on the show. So welcome to the show, bro. Thanks, man. Thank you. I appreciate you having me, bro. Definitely, definitely, man. And just just to get it right into it, the first question we always ask our guests because we see and we know you're doing a lot of dope things, but for the people who are not familiar with you, like what was the start? And give us a little background on yourself. All right, so I went to college for engineering. I'm like on a full scholarship, guaranteed corporate job when I graduated. And then when I graduated in 2007, I hated it. I was like, man, I feel like I've been sold a dream. So for me, it was like, man, I got to figure out how to get out of this. So I started off trying to do stock trading. But, you know, 2008, 2009 is when the market was real crazy, so you couldn't really do anything. And um, I bought a house when I graduated college in Memphis. And I wanted to move back closer to home. Couldn't sell the house. And so I had a property manager uh, basically lease it out for me. And then that's when I realized I had passive income coming from that property. Mm. So then it was like my focus was shifted to all real estate. You know? So since 2008, I uh, had that first rental. I flipped my first house in 2009. I've been doing it ever since. Wow. So you just, uh, and you were, you was, was you like a full-time entrepreneur at that time, that first deal? No, I, I worked, I didn't leave my corporate job until 2015. Mm. But I had got out of engineering, and I just I figured if I'm gonna stay, uh, I can I can use that W two income to uh, you know get more leverage, get more loans, my rental properties and stuff. So I did that, and I got out of engineering and I just started working in other departments that I felt like would help me. So I did operations where I like managing people, uh, running freight terminals, and then I did uh, sales and marketing and uh, industrial supply chain um, and business development. So all that stuff kind of helped me, you know, kind of basically get another level of education without having to go back to school for just learning the corporate environment. Okay. Okay. That makes a lot of sense. And you said you didn't leave yeah. to, to 2015. So what, uh-huh. uh, so what like gave you the confidence and what, how did you know it was time for you to leave? Man. So I had built up enough income, um, from the real estate, from the rental properties and from the flips. Well, I was, I was doing well and I basically matched my corporate income, um, over that was that five, six years. Uh, and then I just had an incident at work where one of our, like an AVP tried to throw me under the bus for something that wasn't my fault. And it was like an easy decision at that point. It's like, man, <laughs> I, I replaced my income already. Um, and it, you know, it just kind of opened your eyes that no matter how good of a job you do, how well you perform, how well you communicate, somebody can throw you under the bus in a corporate job for any reason. You know what yeah. I mean? And I was like, man, my time is more valuable for me. Now, uh, try to double my income uh, from the real estate stuff, from the you know, entrepreneurship stuff versus staying here and waiting to get a raise or waiting to get a promotion. 
Yeah, that's very interesting because the people all I, I often have a conversation with people be like, "Man, how do I know when it's time for me to leave my job?" And I'm like, yeah. replace, try to replace that income first. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Or you know, I always tell people too, cut your cost of living as low as possible. Right. You know what I mean? And have have enough saved up where you feel comfortable, even if the business you know goes to zero for a month or two. You know, you be able to uh, use that pull on that reserve money. You know what I mean? To be able to live off of it while you try to get more revenue come back into your business. Mm, yeah, that, that's real. And uh, let's say I want to uh, touch on like for first time, if so for people that want to get into real estate, what do you think is the best or ideal situation for anybody that's a that's a first time investor and they looking for uh, a specific deals? Because I always I always say like uh, house hacking. I would aim to do that mm-hmm. if I was a first time yeah. investor. What do you think? I think that's good. I think, so you got three groups of people, right? You got somebody that, that probably don't have any money, probably don't have good credit either. Um, I think wholesaling is the best way for them to get into the game. Mm-hmm. Um, and not not getting into wholesaling to try to get rich, but getting in to find deals, make some money, and network with investors because, you know, I think it's more important. A lot of wholesalers are firm, visual investors that are trying to maximize the profit out of the deal. Whereas if, if you consistently bring somebody good deals where you're making good money and investors making good money, you'll, you'll establish a good relationship with that investor. And that investor will basically can take you under their wing and show you how to do the next step, which is to flip in the houses, connect you with their resources for contractors, for lending, for all that kind of stuff. I think that's one good way to get into it. House hacking is definitely another good way to get into it if you if you want to be on the rental side. Um, it, it definitely cuts your cost of living down. Um, and, you know, if the, the two rents or the other rent can cover the full mortgage payment, that's great. If you have a little bit of profit, that's even better. And then the third way is like the people that do have the corporate jobs that have money but just don't have the time. Well, not just corporate, I mean, if you're a working professional, it could be anybody that has decent money. If you can save, take some of that money and just invest it with an investor that's going to keep you exposed to the project while they're using your money. Right. So I think those are three, three ways you can really get in the game. Um, and, but I think the key to all of them is to be around people that are already doing it and not try to figure it out on your own. Mm, mm, like- I, I like that because uh, I, I don't remember who I heard say this recently. They was like, "It's nothing wrong with uh, like riding the coattails of an investor." They said sometimes you, when you hear that term "riding coattails," it sounds bad. But he was like, "I wish I could have rode the coattails of Jeff Bezos oh, when he yeah. tried to Amazon <laughs> or something." You know what I mean? Yeah, man. Having a mentor, man. Having somebody that's already done what you're trying to do that's that's, mm-hmm. that's, that's key. I always tell you know, it's like the little saying: "It's okay to be a copycat if you're copying the right cat." Mm. You know what I mean? So you got to be in a circle with the right people. Mm, that's dope. That's dope. And something that I yeah. that, I, that I seen you uh, talk about on your Instagram, you you said it was super dope to me. I'm like, yeah, I want to talk about this. You said four door. <laughs> four, you said uh, four door coops paid by four door deals. And I'm like, oh, that's fly. Yeah. I, I like that fly talk. But I'm like, can you say your assets should pay for your liabilities? And like, this is a conversation yeah. I love to have, and I and I really kind of yeah. stress it because I I like sometimes I think people don't fully understand it. So do you mind like right. diving into that a, a little bit? Yeah, man. So, you know, when, when, when you buy an asset, you, you're actually buying something that's going to make money for you. Right. And versus when you buy a liability, you're buying something that whatever money you just put into it, you, you probably lose that money the second you, you, you put it in. So if the, like a, a car, like if you got to put 5000 down, but the second you drive up the lot, it loses $10,000 in value, and you lost that money instantly, right? Where if you take that $5,000 and put that on down payment on the house, you know, 3% FHA loan or something. And then that, that house now makes, say, say you get four or five hundred bucks a month of profit. You go buy a car, and the profit from that rental property will actually pay for the car note every month on top of the value increasing of 
the asset that you bought. Um, and so that's how we should think about things because, like I said, when, when you sink money into something that's not going to make you any money, uh, you lose you you lose all that effort that you put into to earn that money. Basically, you're saying this is what it's worth to me. It's worth to me to go buy this thing, and I know immediately after I buy it, the, that what 80, 120 hours it took me to earn this money is now plus the dollar toilet just because I want this this thing that's not going to have even as much value as when I'm buying. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm, yeah. Yes. That's, that's that's real because uh, we, yeah. we, we 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 us too. We always talk about that. We like man. We just want anything we do, vacations, all that. We just gonna let our assets pay for that. We ain't, we using you, you know what I'm saying. Our time, we didn't put money. You know what I'm saying. Our hard earned money to pay for that things. Exactly. Yeah, man. But the money that worked for you before you know before you got to continue to work for it. Mm-hmm. You know? That's that's facts. And uh, like we also know that you're a real estate developer. And that's a, that's a, a thing that I know a lot of people want to get involved in. So how does someone become a real estate developer? So Okay, so the process of developing real estate is basically taking something from the conceptual stage uh, all the way through to the, the construction stage, right? So a builder is somebody that steps in after the developer has done their part. But the developer is when it comes in, either identifies a site that's got old buildings on it, comes up with a plan, to, uh, to change what's there, which means demolishing everything and starting over, or you buy raw land, and then you come in and you develop the site plan. You, know, you divide up the lots, you, you divide, up, you determine the full use for the entire property, and then you bring in all the infrastructure that comes with it. So that that means you got to get engineers, architects, and uh, planners to help you uh, decide. You know how big a parking lot is, or you know how how stable is the ground that underneath that that, that you have to put the concrete on. Um, then you got to bring in all the infrastructure. What's the you know what's the drainage plan for the property? Uh, how many how much utilities you have to bring in? You know as far as electricity, as far as plumbing, all that stuff. Uh, right of ways for streets, uh, curbs, gutters. That's what a developer does. So some developers will do that step, and then they'll just sell the lots to a builder to come in, mm. and the builder actually comes in, and the builder does the vertical construction. Um, but what I'm doing, my project, I'm, I'm carrying it all the way through. So I just, I actually hired a builder to build for me uh, for this project. So they're actually, you know, just basically like, like a general contract. Mm. So for like a project yeah. from where you start from the ground up, how long does it typically take for you to get through that project? So yeah, if you're starting from scratch, it's, you, 18 months is a comfortable number to say that's how long it's going to take you from time you start to the time you can actually start building vertically. Um, because the city has to approve all of their site plans first, and then they have to go back and approve whatever you plan to build on that site. So, yeah, but the key to development is always controlling the land first, because mm. you that, especially if you're going to try to go get leverage, uh, like get a loan for the vertical construction, you have to own the land outright or have it with no debt on it, because that's the only way the bank is going to lend to you for the project. Um, and really, even for like, to even entertain an architect, an engineer, or somebody like that, uh, they're going to require retainers. They're going to require fees. So you don't want to start working on all this stuff, planning it, and you don't really have site control because you know, it didn't happen to that land. Somebody can buy it. Um, this owner could decide not to sell, and now you invested all this money in these soft costs that don't really have a tangible value unless you actually own and have control of that land. Um, but another creative way to do it would be the JV with somebody that owns the land so that they can put it in as equity without you know you have to buy it from them. You have to get them. Mm. All right, so like, for for you throughout your real estate journey, 
when did you get to the developer stage? Like, because you started off with um, doing the rental property and then you said you yeah. moved it to fix and flip. So, like, like, what got you up to that point where you were like, I'm going to do this? So, man, you know, this deal kind of just fell in my lap, really, because um, 2013, uh, I was able to own a finance this whole block of property and it had a grocery store and some houses on it. Uh, I just, and that time, this area, there was no activity over here, so it was kind of like one of those areas that nobody was really buying in. But the owner had actually inherited it from his dad, and so he didn't have any debt on it. And so um, he was just tired of being a landlord. He was like early 60s, uh, I mean late 60s, early 70s. And um, yeah, I just negotiated a deal with him to buy it for like a, like 450000 gave him 10% down. And since it had houses on it and everything already, I was able just to use the rent revenue from that to pay the mortgage payments up. Uh, and then by 2016, uh, I, activity started over here with revitalization, people are developing and building construction. So that's when I decided, well, since I own the land, um, I should just try to make it my first uh, development project. And so I kind of took a break from flipping and rentals just to kind of focus on this. Because I knew, you know, it's going to take time, it's going to take me um, investing a lot of money into it. But on the back end, I really wouldn't miss any revenue. Because if I was flipping, say, three or four houses a year, but it takes me two years to do this project, and I, I'm building 14 townhomes, at the end of three years, you know, I would have, I wouldn't have missed a penny of profit, and I would have put myself in a bigger arena to do bigger things. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it wasn't like I had a strategic plan from the beginning. It all, the, the things just kind of fell in place. Okay, okay. Okay. So, I wanted to uh, talk about because I feel like being a real estate developer. You, that's that's something that uh, we need in the community, especially when we have the, the topic of gentrifying neighborhoods. Yeah. And so, but before we uh, like dive into that, what do, what is your thoughts on gentrification? Because a lot of times people have like a bad connotation on it. But from my point of view, I don't necessarily see it as a bad thing, especially all the time, every time. You know what I mean? So I yeah. want to just get your thoughts on that first. So gentrification is basically the revitalization of a neighborhood. Right. Usually, the reason why it feels so negative to us is because we aren't the ones actually doing the revitalization. It's somebody else coming in doing it, taking advantage of the opportunity that, that they see. And usually what they're doing is they're not really focused on the existing community that's there, right? They're focused on, it's a business for them, so they're focused on making things as, as profitable as possible. So when a builder when a builder comes in in a neighborhood like, like this neighborhood, like Black, predominantly impoverished black neighborhood and they buy a property, uh, they're going to build and they're going to try to get the maximum price point they can for the product they're trying to maximize their profitability. Usually what that means is whatever they build, it, the people from the community can't afford it, right? Um, it's not necessarily a, a bad thing. Um, it's just capitalism. And what we have to learn to do is participate, right? So that's what I'm doing here. It's like, okay, well, I control this block. Let me rebuild and let me choose the price point. So my price point is... Under three hundred thousand, which is the same price of all the homes in the suburbs in Houston, right? So all of the, the black working professionals all of them buy out the suburbs because there there is no product in the city that's up to their their living standard and at and at a price point they can afford with a corporate job, you know, making eighty ninety grand a year as a family or whatever. Um, so it, it's just the way we just have to learn how to participate in that process because it just is everything has a lifestyle life cycle, including a neighborhood. Real estate. Um, if we just continue to not want to touch our neighborhoods because of what it used to be, or who's left there and who didn't make it out, then we leave 
and what we do is participate in the process. And what that also does for us is now if we are the ones moving back in the neighborhood, we can control what happens to the people that live here before that, that, that don't have the means to get out. Because now we can collectively work with city councilmen, we can work with all, all those people to get them tax exempt so that their taxes don't go up. Because when those other people come in the develop, they don't care. They're hoping the people's taxes go up and that they lose the properties they want. But we can have a vested interest in making sure that the people that the people that are here, uh, that were here, uh, are taken care of. You know, and we can't do that from the outside looking in. We got to be participating in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the other great point that comes along with us moving back is you bring that us bringing corporate income, entrepreneur income back to the neighborhoods, changes the demographic of the neighborhood. Now we now this issue that we have with food deserts and all this other kind of stuff changes. Because when the grocery stores look at the neighbors now, they see enough income there to want to bring in a, a store or bring in other retail, bring in restaurants, bring in everything. Mm-hmm. So we just got we got to start looking at it holistically and stop being scared of it, and thinking of it as oh, if you if you're rebuilding over there, you know, you 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 selling out, you, you know, you, you uh, you're not looking out for the people that's there. That's not true. Mm. And I agree, and I agree with that. That's why I wanted you to touch on it for a second because when I, 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 I seen you speak on it on Instagram, I'm like, this is super dope. And you was going through the steps on like how to gentrify a neighborhood. And I'm like, wow, yeah. this is super dope. I had never really seen nobody yeah. break it down like yeah, that. That's, that's right. Yeah, that's another good point. Most people think when you when you gentrify or when you revitalize, you're displacing people. That's not true. Like the, the property I bought, nobody was absolutely nobody was displaced. Um, I had rental tenants here um, that I brought in. That they moved out, but the other property I'm buying over here is either vacant lots, it's abandoned lots, it's, it's crack houses, it's all the stuff that, that's 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 blighted, that's that's actually a detriment to the neighborhood that we can remove and bring back to life. Mm-hmm. Mm, that's super. That's 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 uh that's super dope to me. It's uh <laughs> another uh, something else I seen you. Sp- no, I'm gonna keep on the the, the gentrification uh part a little bit longer. I got another. I just I just thought of another question. So like what? So like I'm trying to think of a way to word this. So, hmm. So I like I I ideally, like uh, what do you think is a way? Because we always talk about uh like prevention of gentrification from other from other communities coming to our communities and doing what they do. So what do you think is the the preventive measures we can do to to you know what I'm saying to stop from other people to buy in our communities as and we doing that instead and fixing it up. I think it, it just becomes an education uh, point. Like it's, it's a conversation like what we're having now. More of these conversations need to be had where we understand what it, you know what the whole ecosystem of a neighborhood needs to, to survive. And while I think it's great that we focus on the low income stuff, we got to start focusing on bringing the market rate back to the community. Um, and that starts all the way at the bottom of the wholesale, right? Wholesaling is huge right now. Everybody's wholesaling. Um, a lot of people that were holding out before in these neighborhoods because they saw a, a white person coming to the door asking to buy their property. They said, no, they want to sell to a black person. Then you have a black wholesaler go in there and tell them they're a cash buyer. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and then they, the wholesaler turns around and sells it to uh, an investor from another community. Or you're actually participating in gentrification. You're actually accelerating it because that owner wasn't going to sell to anybody outside of a black person. So you're, they're basically using you as a pawn in the game for you to make five or ten grand. So we got to be cognizant of that, number one. Number two, you got to work with black uh, investors, you know, black investors that have the, have the same um, mindset of, of keeping it within the community, too.
because you know it needs to go from a black wholesaler to a black investor. Mm. Now, black investors need to be working with realtors that have black buyers that are for clients. You know what I mean? Like, like black retail buyers just want to live in the house, or black buyers that want to own rental properties in those neighborhoods. You know, and then that way you have you have the whole system set up where you control it from the time you get the deal to the time it's sold to the end buyer. You know, we can keep it within our within our neighborhoods. Um, I, I think that's the major key. And something else that we could start doing is something that I plan to start doing too is the older the people that inherit properties or have properties in neighborhoods and don't know what to do with them but don't want to sell. We just got to figure out a way to start partnering with them, like you know, do joint ventures on their houses where we tell them you put the house into the deal as equity. I'll bring the money for the for the flip or the money for the new construction and the design work, and then your family will still own a percentage of the, the asset once it's done. But it's all kind of creative ways like that that we can do to keep stuff from going out of the community. Mm, mm, that's, that, that's powerful info right there. And yeah. another another thing I seen you touch on was, and I think this is very important as well. You were saying like, don't miss out on money, because like like I, I I'm pretty sure you see this as well. I see a lot of like black business owners. They'll say you know, I mean it's no it's it's nothing wrong with uh, identifying yourself as a as a what they call it a minor a minority uh, owned yeah. business. Well, a lot of times I'll see people do things like you know uh, this. Uh, I see it do it do it to their like uh, like it doesn't help them in the end because other communities don't feel welcome buying from them. Yeah. And it's yeah. it's only forty four million uh, black people in America as opposed to mm-hmm. what is four hundred like what is it four hundred? Yeah. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like you yeah. missing out on a lot of money just catering to one particular people when they might not yeah. necessarily even be buying from you like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so what do yeah. you what do you think about this? So to date, the wealthiest person on earth to ever exist was Mansa Musa. Right. Who was a king in Africa. He got that wealth by doing business with every other continent. Everybody wanted to come to Africa for trade, right? So whether it was gold, whether it was, it was textiles, whether, whether it was spices, uh, India came over here, the Europeans came over here, the Chinese came here, the Australians came here, uh, everybody. Everybody came here. So we got we have to readapt that same mindset. Um, if you never you go to Chinatown, the signs may be written in Chinese, but the architecture is all Chinese, but you don't see a Chinese power sign over there. You don't you don't you don't see no all Chinese everything signs over there. Right. You know what I mean? But you know you know once that money goes into that restaurant it goes out to their employees and it stays in their community. It does, does not leave their community. Um, and, and they welcome you in. They welcome the outside dollars in. So their pride is, is not through um, aggressive speech and, 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 and aggressive, uh, I guess, community statements about themselves. It's it, it's shown through how they live. Yeah, yeah. Same, same thing with Hispanics. I mean, even the Europeans, man, you go to... You go to New York, there's Little Italy, right? There's Greek Town and all this stuff like that in these big cities. They all do it with, we're the only ones I feel like that we have to announce to everybody. Announce. It's all black, everything. Exactly. Wrong with like, you know, voicing your opinion or voice how you feel, but you really do a disservice to yourself when you when you announce like yeah. your goals and like the your your uh your motives. You don't have to do that. As long as you action and you show like, you know what I'm saying, this what it is. People can see that. Yeah. You don't have to say it. Exactly. They see exactly. they see what you're doing. They are like, okay, okay, I see what it is. You don't have to when you say that, it's like other people, because at the end of the day, 
Well, I mean, we got allies and we got, uh, mm-hmm. and we got, and you're going to have people on the opposite side. So when you mm-hmm. showing your hand like that, they are, they, yeah. they ain't got to do no homework. They already did it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> you, yeah. already you, already, you already laid it out for them. They ain't got to do no homework. Yeah. Yep. Well, you're right, man. Yeah. Exactly right. Yep, yep. And, and what we don't realize too is like, I hate this narrative that we never had anything. We never had our own because before desegregation, we had our own every, Everything. every city. Like everybody talks about Black Wall Street all the time, but man, there were so many Black districts in every city because we were not allowed to patronize anything else. And man, we lost a lot of that momentum that we had there when uh, I guess we decided we wanted to prove the point to white people once we went to patronize that establishment. Because we go spend all our money there, you know, a lot of our neighborhoods went down after that. Right. So that's our own fault, and we shouldn't be displacing that anger at other groups, you know, all the time because some of that was was our own doing. Yep, yep, that's real, that's real. And uh, something, uh, uh, something else I want to touch on was I seen back to uh, on the investor side and on and owning things. I seen you say how you lost eighteen months of profit with one bad tenant. And you were talking about the uh-huh. rules of the rules of rentals. Do you mind uh, yeah. going into that a bit? Okay, so so when you have a rental property, you know the whole rental payment. If you have a mortgage on, it's not property, right? Right. So uh, most most rules. The normal rule of thumb you hear is if you're making three or four hundred a month in cash flow, that's good profit for a rental property, right? Mm-hmm. So, so the course of the year, that's like forty eight hundred dollars, right? So I had a tenant do like seven thousand dollars worth of damage to a property after I moved out. After I after I uh, paid off uh, the insurance, the taxes, and everything, and then I, I kept the deposit, I was still in the holes, uh, like seven to six hundred dollars. So that that wiped out the profit for a year and a half on a rental property. Right, and that's the kind of things people don't think about. Um, Or if you have a property where you're not in a good enough market, where it takes you two months to rent it. Well, let's say your mortgage payment is twelve hundred a month, right? Right. And two months you have nobody in there, so that's twenty four hundred dollars you've lost, right? And then if your profit on that is four hundred, if when it is rented, your profit is four hundred bucks a month, then that's technically what six months of profit that you lose over those two months of trying to find a tenant. Mm-hmm. So it's just that's the things that I yeah my my educate people on rental property like right? you know make sure you really screen your tenant your tenants really well um, if they have a bad rental history it's for a reason you know some people want to try to you know be nice and give somebody a second chance but I wouldn't do that until you have like a really hefty portfolio of stuff where you can afford to carry that cost you know if, if you can't maintain uh, if maintain a tenant in there. number two. Um, Always in the area where your mortgage payment is significantly lower than what the rental rates are, and that that, that market is a really high demand rental market, so that you don't have that two or three months span in between tenants. Mm. Okay. So, so uh, what is your what is to, to to help a couple of our listeners that may not be hearing this? What do you think is the best way to screen tenants? Okay. Yeah, I mean, because some people just want to do it themselves, and because they feel like they'll save that one month of rent or half a month of rent, whatever their realtor's going to make off of that transaction. But man, I mean, having a peace of mind and knowing that that just somebody else is working for you, and they find a good quality tenant, they do the, the criminal background check, the credit check, and all that other kind of stuff, um, and maybe screen a couple of the previous uh, landlords if you don't have time to do that. That's invaluable. You know, that that little bit of time that you save. That, that little bit of expense that you have will save you time on the back end, uh, dealing with a bad tenant, having to try to evict the tenant, all that other kind of stuff. 
Okay. Um, I know a lot of people like to try to do things themselves, man, but I'm a big proponent of leverage, leverage other people's knowledge, expertise, and time. Uh, that way you're not – if you try to learn everything yourself, it's going to take you a lot longer to get to right. the so work with somebody that specializes in that arena. Mm-hmm. Okay. And I want to touch – now I want to touch on those people that may, like – that may – Try to buy their home and look at it as all oh, investment. As instead of as instead of buying rentals, they'll say, "Okay, I'm gonna buy a house, live in it, and hopefully, you know, what I mean, like the uh, the value of it increases." So, what do you what are your thoughts on people that think their home being an asset? Do you think a home is an asset if you live in it? If if if, if you want your home to be an asset, you gotta treat it like that, and that, that means before you buy, you've chosen a neighborhood where you know the values are going up because something big is about to happen here, right? Or the demand is so strong that it's, it's going to gain equity, right? So in order for it to be an asset, that means it has to make you money. That means you got to add up your mortgage payment, your taxes, your insurance, your maintenance, um, your, your lawn care, and everything. If you take that big bucket and the value appreciation is greater than all of those expenses combined every year, take it as an asset. If it's not, if, 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 that, if that equity appreciation does not meet that number, then it's not an asset. It's losing value, right? Um, it's something that now a bank will still loan, loan money on that, but I put that in the same category as like, like, like taking something to the pawn shop. It still has a value, you know what I mean? But it's not a true asset. It's not bringing the income every month. Right. Whereas if you if you rent your primary residence and you know you have a fixed cost every month for the living expense, um, any repairs, the landlord fixes Anything else goes wrong with landlords. So taxes go up, that's the landlord's problem, not yours. You know, insurance mm-hmm. goes up, same thing. Um, but then you have a rental property, then that rental property will be making you money every month. But if you're paying the mortgage payment, um, and the tenant will also be absorbing any of those uh, other costs, so you can raise the rent to cover it with the insurance that the taxes go um, So a, a rental property is, is much more solid of an asset than primary residence. I, I know some people that they do they do the trade up model where they'll live in a house for two years and they know the value's going up. And once they have 40, 50 grand of equity, they'll sell the house. Next house, they'll take that 40, that 40 50 grand they made, but that is a bigger down payment. Mm-hmm. And so in like 15 years, they, you got enough cash for the pay for house cash. You know what I mean? So if, if you're using your primary residence like that, that makes it an asset. Yeah. So it's not, not like a clean black and white uh, answer, but. It's only certain scenarios where it is true to ask. Mm, yeah, and that's that's what I was going to uh, say. I was going to mention like trading up. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I know that could, that could be if you if you mapped it out and planned it out, tra- trading up could definitely be uh, work for you. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. As long as, as long as you invest that that equity back into the next house, and don't spend it. You know, then, then the model works. Mm, mm. Oh. You know what? And one thing I wanted to bring up, because it's like as an investor, a real estate investor, like you're going to find yourself getting like pretty creative um, when it comes to building your portfolio. And when, especially when it comes to finding ways to finance your portfolio, like yeah. go to a bank or a private lender, or pull your money together, with, like people that you know. But something I seen you mention was seller finance and being an option. And I know a lot of people don't know what that is or understand how to go about that. So do you mind like sharing, explaining the definition of seller financing and possible yeah. ways you can get it? So seller financing is usually is the, the legal way for it to work is for the seller to have, like not have a loan or any debt on the property. And then y'all just agree on a purchase price. But instead of you paying for it all at once, you give them a down payment and you make payments monthly until you 
an interest rate associated with that. So they're making money off of you know the principal payments and the interest. And um, that'll put you in a position where you have ownership actually with the deeds of the properties. And so, you know, now that's an asset that you have and you don't need a bank at all to be involved. And usually with own finance, if they're gonna ask for like ten to twenty percent down, sometimes they won't even pull your credit. They don't care because they're you know, they know like if you stop paying, they've already made ten to twenty percent off to take the property back mm-hmm. sell to somebody else. Yeah. So that that is a very great way. Like I said, that's how I actually bought this whole block of property that I have now. I am picking up another house right now that's got two vacant lots attached to it, doing the same thing, just giving it 10% mm-hmm. down. Um, but yeah, that's, that's a very, it's a very uh, attractive way for people to have bad credit or uh, have a hard time just getting approved with a bank because of the debt to income ratio or something like that. Okay. Um, finding those sellers that are going to do that uh, can change the game for you. Yeah. yeah, that's dope because I feel like especially if you're going to be an investor and you invest in like low-income neighborhoods or you want to revitalize your um, community, that's definitely a dope way to do it. Help them out because, you know, oh, yeah. they can't get the financing from the bank, so you can be that person for them to get an opportunity. Definitely. And, I mean, it helps them in several aspects, too, because, you know, they, they're not desperate for a big sum of money. That 10% is a nice little, nice little 10 15% is nice for them to take up front. Now they have income coming in every month. Mm-hmm. It's the equivalent of being a landlord without having any of the responsibility because the buyer is responsible for the auto repair and auto maintenance, all type of issues. So mm-hmm. you know, it, it, it could be, it makes sense on both sides. Yeah, mm-hmm. agreed. And, and you uh, bought up like a whole block, right? Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. So that's so I I, I definitely want to talk about that because that's like uh like I have a couple people we often talk about like purchasing the whole neighborhood and then that at that point you control like what goes on you control the price points because you own the market so you determine right. everything yeah. that goes on so what you did that was so dope and like do you mind like uh explaining that like the process of but like how how did that process happen man so one of my one of my boys that knew I was in real estate um that called me one day because I was a property manager and he was like hey Plumbers, 
So if anything broke, I just bring supplies out. They would fix it. They would just have to have some other That's so smart. That's, yeah, that's smart. <laughs> that's, that's smart as hell. That's super smart. So, like, that's crazy. So, like, uh, like, so you don't live on the block, do you? No, I don't live here. Okay, no. okay. And it, it's I'm a actually here right now. I can show it to you. Okay. Uh, I'm actually inside one of the, one of the flips right now. Okay. Turn the camera around for you. Okay. I'm going to let you go. <laughs> All right, so I'm, I'm actually upstairs uh, inside the master suite of the unit. And this is like the master bath. So it's almost done. It's got really mirrors. Oh, that's, really, that's dope. That's super nice. Yeah, so it's got a big walk-in shower. Damn. <laughs> <laughs> it's, got, it's got a big closet back here. Uh, and so, and I'm actually giving these houses some pretty big backyards on this side. So Damn. The backyards. <laughs> yeah. And that's downtown right there. Wow. So I'm, a, I'm, on the, I'm at the corner unit. So, yes, yeah, so this whole block is going to be nine more townhomes over there in the dirt. Man, that's so dope. That's crazy, yo. And like the, the, I know the listeners they can't see this, but this is like, uh, it's super. It's, he's like, it's hooked up for real. It's super dope in the inside, huge backyard, and like y'all heard him say, downtown is like right there. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Skyline views will never be blocked because of the freeway. Oh, it's kind of foggy, but yeah. Wow, that's amazing, yo. For real. So. That's 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 crazy, man. Like, cause like this is a, a huge topic I feel right now with people that the, yeah. they want to they want to do something similar. And with you already doing it and having a blueprint, where you can now, I feel like now you can help people and make the process easier for people because exactly. you've already done it. Exactly because, and, and you know, like that's part of the problem. The reason why I started too because it's like I got tired of hearing people talk about gentrification, and it's always a conversation. And when you have two intellectual people on both sides of the debate of a debate that you know you can't really tell who who's who's right. Right. You no. Know, the only way the only way to change that is to actually do it. And then when it's done, then the people that are saying it can't be done no longer have an argument. Mm. Right. So so that was my goal. I was like, well let me go ahead and do it and then I can show proof instead of just talking about talking it. About it, right. you know, it was a risk I was willing to take. Uh, yeah, so like one I got a contract on one unit. Um, she's like twenty nine, works for Shell, young black lady. You know what I mean? So it's possible that we can build nice stuff and attract the right type of buyers and bring stuff back to our communities. You know? That's good. So I'm, I, got, I got open house next weekend. Hopefully I, get, I had a dentist from Dallas come down and look and invite us to investment property. But I got like 10 or so people that are looking all from our community. You know, so once I do that, that's going to solidify the deal. It's just like, you know, you can't argue with it. It works. It works. Well, it works. Exactly. You know? and that's and so yeah. I want to ask you, so before you did this process, did you have different thoughts on gentrification? Did this change some opinions or is it like you still the same? Man, I always knew, I always knew as, as being a flipper, I always knew that it was possible. It's just like, but most of us are only focused on our one little uh, silo of what we're doing, right? We want to get in, make the money and sell it. But I was like, man, if we just become a little bit more conscious of where we get it from, uh, where we choose to, to where, what neighborhoods you choose to invest the money in and who we try to market it to uh, before it goes to MLS. Once it goes to MLS, you can't discriminate on fair housing. But I mean, but you can market it and try to get the right buyer in there before, before you know, you're going to come in the market. So, yeah. Um, I, I never really, I, I, I hate when we play that victim role. And I think that's a lot of words. Yeah. And, and don't get me wrong. Um, it's not fair. Like a lot of things aren't fair. We haven't been treated fairly 
uh, society overall. But there's no point in continuing to complaining about it. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's like it's like that Will Smith, like when he first got on Instagram and it went really viral. But it's like it's not your fault what happened to you, but it's damn sure your fault about what you do about it. Mm-hmm. You know. And so it's like from that, it's like man, we can continue. I mean, you can sit down with a group of, a group of intellectuals and they can tell you everything, everything that was ever done wrong to us in detail and talk about over the. Now what you gonna do about it? We're doing all right. You know, what's the next step? What are we gonna do? You know. So that's why I'm with it, man. I mean, I always knew it's possible because I mean. Also, what I've learned, what I've seen is like, okay, this block, it was a uh, Jewish guy that actually owned this block that I got it from. Mm. But in Baton Rouge, it was a, uh, I got like 20 lots right around Southern University where I went to college at. But it was a black real estate uh, tycoon that had some kids that inherited a bunch of property. And they were just messing it up too. They weren't taking care of it. So it's not so much about just accumulating it. It's about passing the knowledge down mm. of what to do with it. You know? mm. um, and so I think we have to we have to educate ourselves on once we get it again, how we maintain it, how we don't lose it like we did last time. Facts. And yeah. I just want to say this real quick. Like what you're doing is, uh, from my point of view, it's the ep- epitome of what when people say pro-blackness. Because, you know, you, you hear people, especially in, we're in the era right now on social media, you can see people saying, we got the, the social media activists that talk all, you know, just talk all day about this and that, but they ain't really doing nothing. And you don't, like, you wouldn't have to say, you you wouldn't have to say any of that to me. But based on your actions and what I'm seeing, I wouldn't even have to say that. I'm just saying that so the people that's listening, could, could, so they can later on down the line and see, like, okay, that's what that is. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, it's not somebody right, yeah. that's outside with a goddamn poster, you know what I'm saying, protesting exactly. the, Online talking shit, trying to get people to do exactly. this or that. It's people like him yeah. that's actually doing yeah. stuff that's helping people. Yeah, yeah. right, exactly. Bro. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. it, one hundred percent, bro. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. So that's that's man, that's like that. That's amazing to me for real. Like what you're doing, like that's yeah. like you get my get the most salutes from me for real. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, yeah. Word I appreciate up. it, man. But like I said, I just want to create the model so everybody else can follow me. You know? Exactly. So exactly. We can all we can all pull money together. We can get this done. Exactly, man. Because we we at a time right now where, at this point, I always say this. I, like like you said, it is unfair things that happen. But in, in my opinion, my viewpoint is at this point, it's really nothing holding us back but ourselves. At this point, we at the point exactly. where we, could, we we got the access, the resources, the information to do whatever we want yeah. now. There's no right. there's no excuses no more. So when I when I see people just complaining all day, I'm like, yo, all right, I know I'm not gonna excuse my language. I know I'm not gonna fuck with you. I'm gonna leave you yeah, over there because exactly. you, you got a victim mentality. Yeah. We could do yeah. whatever. Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and you know, and, and you know, it's nothing wrong with that. I think another problem we have is we want to convince everybody to get on one page instead of just taking action. You exactly. know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because I mean, even even when we talk about the, the foreigners, you go to the nail shop. There's one owner of that nail shop. The rest of the the Asians that's in there, they working for twelve, thirteen dollars an hour. So, but imagine if that owner waited till everybody else wanted to be an entrepreneur and wanted to be an owner. You know what I mean? He would have a business. So, so the ones that get it, we just got to get it and move forward. Other people benefit from it, not even really realize, you know, what it took, what mindset we had to get to that point. Facts, yeah. facts, yeah. All yeah. you need is one person to do it, and everybody else will follow suit. Exactly. They exactly. just got to see it's possible. Exactly. They don't. The people exactly. don't want to. They don't care about what you're saying. They care about what you're doing. What they see. Exactly. You, what, the, what they. What they see you doing. Like I was telling people yeah. to invest in real estate. And some people's going out the in one ear and out the other, but until I started actually yes. investing in real estate and they seen it and yeah. seen the results, then those people like, damn, yeah. I want to do that now. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and that's, that's what how, it is. Yep. Yep, yep. That, it's unfamiliar territory. Mm-hmm. Yep, that's yeah. real. And uh, 
something else I want to ask you about was uh, I seen that you had a kid at 16 years old. And I'm like, man, this is like to 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 come this far, have a kid at 16. Because I'm pretty sure when you had that kid, people probably was like, man, it's over for you. Like, man, you ruined your whole yeah. life. Like, uh-huh. and, and 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 I want you to uh, just to just just to speak on that, just for people that probably had a similar situation. This is probably we got probably listeners that probably had kids at 18, 17, 19, and they probably feel like, yeah. man, my whole life I can't bounce back from yeah. that. But you a prime example. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, man, yeah, it's possible, bro. Um, so yeah, I got my his mom got pregnant when we were both fifteen and I had just turned sixteen when he was born. Um so it was tough. I mean, you know, I didn't make no excuses though. I mean I, I just worked I had a full time job after school. You know, so I made sure I was working to take care of him. I was always like a ambitious, you know. So I was like I was like a good kid in cool school with a class kind of clown and I guess a teenage dad too. You know, but I, I, just, <laughs> I just didn't let that stop me you know it's like if you're determined to do something you got to figure out a way to make it work right so I mean I missed a lot of stuff like my junior senior year where everybody else was going out on Fridays or not to the game or the homecoming on Saturdays and all that kind of stuff I missed all that but you know it taught me a lot of responsibility early I think that kind of mm. put me on the the, uh, the path of wanting to do something great you know mm-hmm. uh, so you know I mean everybody has different challenges everybody has something that they're overcoming mm-hmm. and you can either let it you know cripple you or you can use it as motivation to do better um so yeah man uh, i mean I, I did have a good system with you know his mom and uh my mom too so you know i, I think having family is important you know in those situations too i'm not i don't think it would have been as easy if i didn't have any support or any help at all but that's i think that's the, the power of the, the, the black family network we still mm-hmm. need to you know support if somebody in your family is in that situation, you support them and help them move forward because you never know what they're going to do. Like, my mom hasn't had the work since um, 2000. Like, mm. like, I've been taking care of her, you know. Um, I'm 35 now. My son is going to be 20 this year. He's on a full academic scholarship going to the University of Houston for entrepreneurship. This yeah. is an entrepreneurship, you know. That's crazy. So it's like, you know, excuses, excuses are gone, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> There's no excuse, man. Dang, so, that- and that's so dope because what you're doing now, you get to pass all that down to him. So he gets to yeah. he gets to be like yeah, a part two, a part of you. right? But better, yeah. like a yeah, better he was version. Like, he was like what eight or nine when I bought my first flip, and we walked it together. So he's been watching me the whole ten years. Man, so imagine yeah. imagine yeah. where he'll be at when he's thirty five. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. So it's yeah. like, and he and he could continue that on when he had kids. It'll be just like that's why I always talk, like I always say, like uh, like. We always talk about generational wealth, but I'm like, it has, it has to, it's not gonna happen overnight. Like, you, you gotta right. be gradually built up. Like I was saying, how like my grandparents, like my grandparents, they uh migrated from the uh the south to Chicago, and they was the first generation yes. in their family to do that. Then my parents was the first generation to get an education, and then me yeah. and my brothers was the first generation to go in the two parent home. So I'm like, yeah. I, I, I'm like, now my kids gonna be the first generation to come from wealth to come from money so exactly. like it's yeah. continuously yeah. building even if you feel like what, what what they left for you wasn't enough if they left yeah. you like a foundation it's on you to that's build awesome. build on top of that exactly. so you pass the rock down yeah and i only got like a couple more questions for you another thing i, I seen you um talk on you said and this was something i i didn't even know about this you said like you can roll over your four hundred one k money to a self directed IRA self directed IRA account with no penalty, and I'm like, oh, oh, snap! I'm like, I don't think a lot of yeah. people know that. So do you mind talking yeah. a little bit? Yeah. Okay. So what everybody really knows about is the four hundred one k 
which is something that was kind of structured by the government to, to make sure that everybody is completely dependent on Social Security and stuff when they get old. So that they, you know, they give you these tax vehicles, put this money into these retirement accounts, and then it's managed by a third party. So these investment clubs like Vanguard, uh, those types of groups, um, they, they they usually have like these these different risk models. But everything that they have that they can invest your money is in a stock or a bond or a CD, and they they get management fees off of that money, so they get that two or three percent uh, a year for managing money. Whether you make money or lose money, you know they get that two or three percent for managing for moving the money around. Basically, uh, the other option is for you to do a self a self directed uh, IRA, an individual retirement account, which uh, is not restricted to to those investment vehicles. You can invest in any asset, so. If, if you no longer work for an employer, you can roll your money over from that old 401k to a self-directed IRA, and and then basically a third party will invest in whatever you sell to invest in. They they distribute the money for you. So that could be it could be a business, it could be uh, real estate. You can you can just loan money and uh, and just uh, collect interest on that money and get that money back. The only the only thing that you have to do is make sure that all the profits associated with it out back into the IRA. So you still can't take the money out personally. You know what I mean? Mm. But there are there are specific ways where if you create a separate LLC, um, then your IRA can land that LLC. You know, and then yeah, but you have to have like a certain interest rate that you're paying that LLC, that you're paying your IRA back. And so say say the IRA gets twenty percent of the deal, then they have to get twenty percent of the property to go back into the IRA the other eight percent and go to you. You know. Um, but it has to maybe kind of self so fun uh, projects. Um, what I'm doing right now, I have uh, one investor put in on my project, which is actually my uh, CFO for the project. But she had a quarter of a million dollars in the whole retirement account from Shell. So she put that in the self-directed IRA, and we use that. Like, got some other tools in the bank, using it for carrying costs, using it for entry payments on the development project, all that. And she's getting a return on that money at the end of the project. Mm. So that's another way that, I mean, and the way people change jobs these days, you know what I mean? A lot of people have that money, so they have a lot of people, you know. Uh, but yeah, you, you can literally invest in anything. Wow. Even if you're unsecured, you can just loan somebody money, even if, if they, you know, they're starting a business but they don't have an asset. It's more risky. I wouldn't recommend that. Um, I would suggest people start, if they're going to do that, to invest with someone that already has a proven track record of success with whatever they're doing. Um, and putting your money in there versus you know, taking a bet on somebody that's just getting started. Mm-hmm. Mm, cool. I guess perfectly legal. Damn, see, I don't know that. That's crazy. Yeah. I, I'm pretty sure that's, yeah. <laughs> that's yeah. crazy. And uh, so I've only got like a couple more questions for you. And one, because I know you do uh, entrepreneurship coaching. And I was going to ask, like, what is that details? And I also was going to ask, what is an entrepreneur to you? What does entrepreneur mean to you? Entrepreneur, somebody that decides to create some type of vehicle that's going to bring in uh, revenue and profits for them, bring great income for them. Um, it could be part time, it could be full time, um, but any type of business, anything that you're doing where you know you are creating something that uh, makes money for you without you having to work for it. Um, I consider that to be entrepreneurship. I mean, a, a working professional can be entrepreneur if they turn their profession into a business. You know, um, like it's different between a doctor working in the hospital, a doctor having their own practice, and having other people supporting them. So that, that's, that's the definition of entrepreneurship to me. It's very broad. Uh, real estate investors, wholesalers, all of our entrepreneurship. Um, you know, any, anybody has any type of service business, entrepreneur. 
Mm, okay, okay. And so what I do is, I bet, like, a lot of people just don't know where to start or what to do when it comes to entrepreneurship. So I try to help people, like, think outside the box of what type of business to start. Because I think most of us, if we come from basically a working background, we're not exposed to business. And so the things that we gravitate to are what we see everybody up there online. So everybody wants to start clothing with you, right? Or a lot of women want to you know, sell hair or they want to be a petition or something like that. But literally everything else that's, that, that's a part of life is a business. Somebody owns that business. Every day when you drive to work, every building you pass, that's a business that somebody owns. And if you have a corporate job or any type of job where an employer is paying, that means that that's the service that that business needs and that you can find another business that can utilize your services but doesn't want to hire you as an employee. You can become a, a contract consultant for them. And that's the kind of things that I, I recommend people start because it doesn't take a lot of overhead. It doesn't take a lot of investment, product, inventory. It's just you using how that you already have. Yep. And then to find out how to, how to charge somebody for it. Yep, yep. That's that's yeah. dope. That's dope. And uh, yeah. the last question that I got, and you guys more, you got something else. You can go ahead. Yeah, the last question I got, and we asked all our guests this: is Do you feel as if you have an obligation to the community, and not just finances or monetary anything like that, but as far as information, giving back access to resources, time? Do you feel like you have an obligation to do that? Because the things you're doing, you don't have to do that. What you're giving back right. game, you don't have to do that. So yeah. is that like an obligation yeah. to you? Uh, I, I, for me, it is, but that's just a personal preference. I mean, I'm not mad at somebody that's out getting their own money, you know, building something for their own family. It's not in everybody's nature to be a giver and to be a teacher, right? You know, or be a leader. Right. Some people are just self performers, so I can respect that too. Mm-hmm. And it's not, my, not not worth my time or energy trying to convince them to do something different. You know, um, I, I just don't like the people that do the reverse and they take from the community in order to gain for themselves. You know, but as long as you're not doing that, I, mean, I think everybody has a position to play. Everybody has a role. Mm. Yeah. yeah, but I, I do feel like it's important. I feel like it's needed, and I'm definitely gonna do my part. And I, I gravitate to and I hang around the people that do do the they same. Do the same. I just, I just, I'm, I don't have anything against the people that don't. Right, all right, okay, okay. Yeah. Yep. And and that and that was uh, you had you had anything else? And that was my last qu- question. But before we let you go, I just want to say. I definitely like we both definitely appreciate you taking the time out of your day to do this, man, to chop up some game with us. Like we we really, really appreciate it, man, for real. And uh No problem, bro. Yeah, definitely. But before we let you go, do you mind plugging in all your like info where people can find you if they want to contact you yeah. with coaching and all that? Yeah, so the easiest way is my, my website is just my name, Chris Um my Instagram is my main social media platform. So it's underscore I-N-V-S-T-R underscore I-N-V-S-T-R so it's like investor with most of the balance. Um but that's the two easy way to get to get to me because go to my website for synagogue.com it's got links to everything if you want consultations if you want to go to the uh, entrepreneurship school to see what I have in there you want to find my LinkedIn or my uh, you know my Instagram everything's there okay cool cool well we appreciate you bro and uh and like I like we you definitely got our support with anything and you as you already know we got we got things uh yes, works that's, cooking up. Yeah, we got things that we cooking up that's that's on the way. Yeah, but, yeah, but like I said, we, that's all we got for you, bro. I appreciate you for real, okay. man. Likewise, man, I appreciate that. Yep, talk to you soon, bro. All right. Yes, sir. But that was another episode of the Millionaire Mindsets Podcast with Chris Senegal. Like he said, uh you guys have his information if you want to reach out to him. 
And I feel like that was another super dope, valuable episode. I'm glad we was able to bring them on, drop some gems. And before we get uh, in the episode, I just want to say, for those who don't know, you can find me on Instagram and Twitter at Xavier C. Miller. And uh, Deanna, she's going to give you her info as well. And you can find me on Instagram at Deanna Kent. And Twitter is Deanna S. Kent. And if you are in need of a consultation for real estate investing, you can contact us at www.parkhillconsultantservices.com. And that's pretty much all we have for y'all. Appreciate y'all for listening to this episode. See y'all next episode. Peace. On the way to the big check. You ain't know I'm up next when I'm on the way. You ain't take risks because you're too afraid. I'ma just eat till I'm overweight. On the way. A whole lot of shit on the way. On the way.